are doing well. Welcome to the Just Human Podcast. This is episode two. And I'm glad y'all are here. And I thank you for listening. And if you're listening to this, that means you're a paid subscriber to my Substack. And I thank you so much. That is the number one way to support me in my work. And it means it means the world to me, guys. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for your uh, your support. And this is my way of giving back to you. This is my way of doing something a little unique that only only paid subscribers have access to. So tonight, well, I'm recording it at night. You may be listening to it. I don't know what time of day. I have something I want to uh, present that was inspired by a comment that I got from a uh, frequent visitor to the Just Human chat on uh, Telegram. And I want to give them a specific shout out. The, the person is Steve Van Q, who uh, has some great comments. I've shared his comments some t- from time to time. And uh, he remarked on something that I've talked about for, well, actually, I don't know how long I've talked about it. I, I feel like I've talked about it since the beginning of me doing any kind of co- public content. Um, but But recently, it's come up a little bit more. And that that topic is kayfabe. And he he remarked on how my discussion of kayfabe had really helped him in in appreciating Trump and appreciating the time period we were in and processing the news. And it it, it had given him a, a sense of not just understanding, but what he described it as it helped him sleep better at night. This, this understanding and this, this information and uh, this understanding of what kayfabe is and how it influences storylines and how it can be used to control narratives had actually given him a sense of comfort. And reading his uh, comment, which I appreciate very much, and it, um, I took it to heart. And it also began um, a series of uh, pretty entertaining uh, subsequent comments of post of of showing Trump at the WWE and Trump at various wrestling things and events. I appreciated his comment very much, and it really inspired me to consider how I could uh, how I might better explain kayfabe, and it, and it made me think, man, I, I should probably dive a little bit more into kayfabe because. Maybe there are some other people who would really benefit from gaining a bit of understanding about it and how it works and how Trump uses it. And to do that, what I've set up for the show, or for this episode, I should say, is some basics on what kayfabe is, just drawing on open source material, just dropping, drawing on like encyclopediafreedictionary.com, uh, which actually has a very, very long um, explanation of what kayfabe is and history of it, which I will not read the whole thing. And then I have some examples of Trump using kayfabe. And then I think what's going to be really fun is I'm going to go through a series of Trump's statement. I was looking for one specific Trump statement that he's put out this year, and I could not find it. But in the process of looking for it, I ended up finding a bunch of others, and I, I grabbed them almost in chronological order and have them set up. And I think, or at least my hope is, that I can explain kayfabe, and you might start thinking about how Trump uses these techniques. And how he has used them his entire presidency, how he started using them before he was president. He was using them back in 2012 or so, or before, but well before. And how he's made use of these, th- 
this these tactics and these uh, theatrics to his advantage to control and influence narratives. And I hope that as I go through some of Trump's statements, you will start to understand them and, and they will start to strike you in a similar way as to how they, they strike me. And, and I want to say up front, this did not, I did not always have this understanding. I only gained this understanding about one year ago. And it's, it's thanks to a specific person who I'm going to get to later. And I'm going to read something they wrote. They don't have the same understanding of Trump that I do and that, that I, I, I would imagine my listeners do. But they explained kayfabe, and when they did, it clicked with me how Trump operates. And it helped me so much to overcome my misunderstandings of Trump. By, by the time I heard it, I wasn't, I didn't have TDS anymore. Um, which, I, in, in some ways, I really only had a, a slight fever of, of Trump deranged. Syndrome, syndrome back in 2015 and 2016, and it was because he attacked my favorite guy in the Senate, Rand Paul, and he attacked my second favorite guy in the Senate, Senate Ted Cruz. <laughs> so I got a little, got a little upset. Um, I was a bit sensitive, but I got over it, and uh, now I understand it. And those people, those two, got over it too, I believe. Um, so what I'm going to do. And excuse me, I need to uh, tell my iPad to not beep at me. Your bomb recording. Thank you. Um, let's start off and let's just talk about the basics of kayfabe. Now, kayfabe, um, that's, that's how I'm pronouncing it. I, that's how I've heard it pronounced as kayfabe, although I have... Um, I think that's pretty standard how everybody pronounces it. What other people might call it is LARPing, live action role play, LARP, or calling it role playing uh, in short. And most of us are familiar feeling familiar with it thanks to professional wrestling. And the, the definition I'm going to read to you right now is from encyclopedia.freedictionary.com. And I'm, I selected this one because it does such a good job of explaining it and explaining all the different roles within it and the different terms within it. Not going to read their entire explanation because if I did, that would be this entire podcast. It would take so long. But I'm going to explain some pieces of it. I'm going to read some pieces of it to you. And as I'm reading it, I'm going to ask you, the listener, to have in mind some, or try and think of some examples of how Trump can use these things or how maybe you've seen these things used during Trump's presidency, before Trump's presidency, and especially since. Well, I shouldn't say since. Uh, all of us that are listening to this probably have a, uh, evol ever-evolving understanding of just exactly uh, what stage we're in. And uh, recently, thanks to Slag, I've come into an understanding of Trump running a presidency that's a of a government that's in exile. But that's a that's a different discussion. Anyway, all right. From encyclopedia.thefreedictionary.com, kayfabe. In professional wrestling, kayfabe is the portrayal of staged events within the industry as real or true specifically the portrayal of competition, rivalries, and relationships between participants as being genuine and not of a staged or predetermined nature. Kayfabe has also evolved to become a code word of sorts for maintaining this reality within the realm of the general public. Kayfabe has long held it as a closely guarded secret within the professional wrestling industry. However, with the advent of the internet, it has evolved into an open secret, and the industry that is generally only adhered to during shows. The origin of the term is not only reliably but 
not only reliably, but it is thought to have its origins in a Carney code in which the instruction to stay in character or be fake was encoded in a pig Latin manner. By first conceiving of it as B fake, then exchanging the B to the K to form K fabe. So it started off as B fake, but it ended up evolving into the term we know today as K fabe, um, kind of a pig Latin twist on the word. So that's how we get this strange word K fabe. Kayfabe is often seen as the suspension of disbelief that is used to create the non-wrestling aspects of promotions, such as feuds, angles, and gimmicks, in a manner similar to other forms of fictional entertainment. In relative terms, a wrestler breaking kayfabe during a show would be likened to an actor breaking character on camera. Also, since wrestling is performed in front of a live audience, those interaction with the, with the show is crucial to the show's success. One might compare kayfabe to the fourth wall, since there is hardly any conventional fourth wall to begin with. In years past, one tool that promotes and that promotes the promoters, excuse me, one tool that promoters and wrestlers had in preserving kayfabe was in their ability to attract a loyal paying audience, in spite of limited or nearly non-existent exposure. Professional wrestling has long been shunned by mainstream media due to lingering doubts about its legitimacy, and its presentation on television was largely limited to self-produced programming, not unlike infomercials of the present day. Scrutiny existed only in limited circumstances, where in certain U.S. states, promoters had to deal with activist athletic commissioners. It was commonplace for wrestlers to adhere to kayfabe in public, even when outside of the ring and off-camera in order to preserve the illusion that the competition in pro wrestling was not staged. This was due in no small part to feuds between wrestlers, sometimes lasting years, and which could be utterly destroyed in seconds if they were shown associating as friends in public, and thus potentially affecting ticket revenue. With the advent of the internet wrestling community, as well as the sports entertainment movement, pro wrestling industry has become less concerned with protecting so-called backstage secrets. Typically, maint typically maintains kayfabe only during performances. However, kayfabe is occasionally broken, including during performances, in order to achieve a number of goals, among them advancing the storyline, explaining prolonged absences, paying tribute to other wrestlers, and sometimes for comedic effect or that of driving inside humor. Now, I am hoping that during those couple paragraphs there, you suddenly started, or if you're familiar with this, maybe not suddenly, you could find some things that I just read to you that relate to this political world that those of us are interested, those of us here are interested in. But I, well, I'm tempted to point something out right now, but I think I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to come back to it. Okay. Heels. Next, next paragraph. Heels and faces. Characters assumed by wrestlers to be distinguished into two alignments. Faces and heels. Faces, short for baby faces, are hero type characters whose personalities are crafted to elicit the support of the audience. Through traits such, traits such as humility, a hardworking nature, determination, and reciprocal love from the crowd. Faces usually win their matches on the basis of their technical skill and are sometimes portrayed as underdogs to enhance the story. Heels are villainous or antagonistic characters whose personalities are crafted to elicit a negative response from the audience. They often embrace additionally negative traits such as narcissism, egomania, unprompted rage, sadism, and general bitterness. Though not as prevalent today, xenophobic, ethnic, and racial stereotypes, in particular those inspired by the Axis powers, okay, I'm going to skip all that. Now, next paragraph, relationships. Many storylines make use of kayfabe romantic relationships between performers. Very often, both participants have other real-life relationships, and the relationship between the two is simply a storyline. 
think about that. I'm going to, getting off the article, just my own comments. Not necessarily romantic, but just think about how relationships are playing out in politics, especially around Trump, where sometimes a relationship seems positive and then other times it seems negative. And it's like, who's in, who's out? A specific example that comes to mind is Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was in, was important to Trump, was in his inner circle, and then suddenly Steve Bannon was out, and there was a big disagreement and a fallout, and um, Steve Bannon went on to found his podcast and The War Room, which is hugely successful and hugely influential in MAGA, and is responsible for so, so many good things that have happened within MAGA. It's, it's an educational program. It's um, it's beyond informational. It's 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 uh it's changing MAGA and it's changing the country. The left absolutely hates it because it's undoing the cabal's control from the bottom up. Um, it's 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 a superb show. And but there was this fallout, and it was like, wait a minute, I thought Steve Bannon and Trump didn't get along anymore. Thought they had this major falling out, and then Steve Bannon goes goes on to be this champion of America First and Trump, and then he has this program, and then he's educating MAGA, he's informing MAGA, he's turning MAGA out at the polls, he's turning MAGA out in precincts, he's organizing rallies, and then boom, he gets a he gets, and the left is constantly coming after him. Trump gives him a pardon. Now January Sixth Committee wants to um, go after him. And did and did indict him, and now he's at the forefront again as one of the primary actors. He's one of the primary characters, you might say, in this battle between MAGA, Trump, the January Sixth Committee, the Rhinos, and the Dems. All of a sudden, and if you think about it, doesn't that seem a little bit like a character revival arc, a character redemption arc? It's not too far away from it, is it? And it reminds me of what happens in this next paragraph. Injuries. Sometimes wrestlers will, quote, sell a kayfabe injury by not appearing at the following show in order to demonstrate the severity of what happened to them the week before. In the years when information on the happenings of the business was limited, this was a common tactic for promoters when a wrestler was scheduled to tour Japan or something else. Other times, a real injury, sometimes used later on as a storyline, occurred. One way is for the injured to come back and blame someone else for them being injured, even when the feud was not initially planned out at all, give a sort of closure to the injury timeout. Guys, I'm going to tell you, I think Trump you I think Trump uses that technique a lot. I think he uses this injury technique a lot where supposedly someone who is actually MAGA, someone who is actually doing very good work, but their role in the storyline, their role in the narrative is complete or near complete. And so an injury is sold. Some examples that come to mind are Jeff Sessions, Mark Milley, Mike Pence. And I'm sure you can think of some others. One that I'm not entirely sure about, but I would believe is Mad Dog Mattis. I'm not sure, but that's the whole point of kayfabe. It's difficult to be sure. It's selling the injury. It's selling the offense. I think um, this was used throughout Trump's term, and it was used to confuse the enemy. It was used to the advantage of those who were playing as faces, remember baby faces, the heroes, the protagonist, and turning others into antagonists or turning others into villains. And some of them end up their story arc ends up coming back around later. As the saying goes, what makes for a, uh, a good story or what makes for a good movie, good actors.
Now, there's a lot of stuff in this article that is very specific to wrestling that I need to skip over because we're not exactly talking about wrestling, although in a way we are. Um, breaking kayfabe is something to look for. And that was exactly what I was looking for in the Trump statements. And I cannot find the specific Trump statement, but I know it occurred. I know it happened. I remember it clearly. I can see it in my mind, but I could not find that specific statement. And what will probably happen is I'll record this podcast, publish it to y'all and somebody will listen to it and then link it to me. Um, which, which is, which is great, which is great. But there's a specific Trump statement that came out right after the leaks dropped for Bob Woodward's latest disinformation book, Peril. And Trump's statement starts off with the words, something like, this is all fake news, or this is fake news. He broke kayfabe there. Not that it wasn't fake news, but he told you it was fake news. And then he went on to play into the fake news after that. So he gave one short sentence that was actually a break because of what came after it. If that makes, I hope that makes sense to y'all. It was legitimately fake news. Trump stated it was fake news. And then he went on to use that fake news against others and to keep the story arcs alive and to keep the narratives alive. And I don't think that's the only time he's done it, but I remember it specifically with Bob Woodward's most recent book, Peril, and it was specifically about um, General Mark Milley. And it was the very first statement Trump put out after that book um, got some leaks that came out of it. And if you haven't read my article about uh, Peril and, and the Bob Woodward uh, fan fiction is what I called it. I wrote an article about it. It's on my Substack, and it's one of my favorite articles that I've written. And I would encourage you to read it because I think it'll help you uh, see Mark Milley differently. And Mark Milley is someone who there is a lot of kayfabe going on between Trump and Mark Milley, in my, in my opinion, and it entertains me very much. I'll get to that here in just a minute. Um, now, ex another example of Trump and kayfabe is specifically related to the WWE. And that's because of you for it. And in case you don't remember, Trump participated in several WWE events. He and Vince McMahon are friends and they ended up having a bit of a feud that was created. At one point, Trump uh, supposedly raided a stash of McMahon's money and then he went into a stadium during a live event and started throwing out money into the crowd. And the whole story was it was actually Steve McMahon's money because Trump never gives away his own money. And they had this little back and forth and it, it, it ended up culminating into a, an event in 2007 where Trump and, and McMahon were going to have a, a wrestling match, although they weren't actually going to wrestle each other. They each chose a wrestler to represent them in the ring. And then whoever lost that match um, or whoever's chosen wrestler lost, they got their head shaved. And this made for a very iconic image, which is going to be in this podcast, in which I linked to my Telegram and Mastodon instance. McMahon's chosen wrestler ended up losing and Trump shaved McMahon's head live on pay-per-view. But I think the most significant part of that whole thing was before that all happened, Trump came out and actually tackled Vince McMahon and did throw some fake punches or elbow drop kind of like hammer fist. Yeah, yeah, it was more like hammer fist. He put, he put some hammer fists, like five or so hammer fists that were fake to Steve McMahon while McMahon's on, or Vince McMahon while he's on the ground. Trump got so, so into it. He had a blast. It was so obvious that Trump was absolutely enthralled and absolutely just fully 100% invested in this act, this wrestling act and this feud. He acted it out so well. And I think he really, really loved it. He loved that role. 
And I think he learned a lot from it. And I think Trump has probably, he's probably used these techniques his entire career. Um, it's, it's deception, you know, on a, on a, on one level, it really is just deception and warfare. You know, we all know Trump is a disciple of the art of war and he may have added on to it. I've heard people say that Trump not only is a uh, follower of Sun Tzu's The Art of War, he added on to it and enhanced it and wrote his, wrote his own version of it um, for this century and beyond. And this was a great example of him doing it. He sold it so well. And he has continued to be able to sell um, those types of events and those types of things so well, these fake battles that he has with people. And it even went so far with his relationship with the WWE that there was a fake announcement that he was going to buy it. And Vince McMahon went on TV and said that Trump has purchased the WWE and it's now sold to him. And it, it was all fake. Um, it was all part of the storyline, but nobody could tell because it, it was sold, like narrative-wise and character-wise, it was sold so well. Now, I want, I want to show you how I was introduced to this concept, which is by the mathematician and economist, Eric Weinstein. And he is the managing director, or he was the managing director of Teal Capital, as in PayPal's Peter Teal. And I'm not sure he still is. I actually don't know what he's doing right now. I do like him quite a bit, although he can. And he can quite a while. Um, but I do find him a very interesting person. And he wrote this, what is the date on this article? I am not even sure. This is from theedge.org. It says, the in the title it says 2011 but I'm not sure this is actually from 2011. It might be. I'm going to, I'm going to try to read this to you real quick because I think he makes some, the way he characterizes kayfabe, I think is, uh, is very good. And he's also a very intelligent and a very, um, articulate person far more than me. Um, so I, I enjoy his, I enjoy listening to him and I enjoy reading what he writes. 2011, what scientific concept would improve everybody's cognitive toolkit? That's the title, Kayfabe. The sophisticated scientific concept with the greatest potential to enhance human understanding may be argued to come not from the halls of academia, but rather from unlikely research environment of professional wrestling. Evolutionary biologists Richard Alexander and Robert Trivers have recently emphasized that it is deception rather than information that often plays the decisive role in systems of selective pressures. Yet most of our thinking continues to treat deception as something of a perturbation on the exchange of pure information, leaving us unprepared to contemplate a world in which fakery may reliably, be, may reliably crowd out the genuine. In particular, humanity's Future selective pressures appear likely to remain tied to economic theory, with current, with currently, which currently users, um, uses as its central construct a market model based on assumptions of prefer, perfect information. If we are to take selection more seriously within humans, we may fairly ask what rigorous systems would be capable of tying together an altered reality of layered falsehoods in which absolutely nothing can be assumed to be as it appears. Such a system in continuous development for more than a century is known to exist and now supports an intricate multi-billion dollar business empire of pure Hawkeye. It is known to wrestling's insiders as kayfabe. I want to zero in, guys. I want to zero in right on that sentence. If we are to take selection more seriously within humans, so what humans are selecting or electing, we may fairly ask what rigorous system would be capable of tying together 
an altered reality of layered falsehoods in which absolutely nothing can be assumed to be as it appears. Such a system in continuous development for more than a century already exists within wrestling. It's called kayfabe. Back to the article. Because professional wrestling is a simulated sport, all competitors who face each other in the ring are actually close collaborators who must form a closed system called a promotion, sealed against outsiders. With external competitors generally excluded, antagonists are chosen from within the promotion, and their ritualized battles are largely negotiated, choreographed, and rehearsed at significantly decreased risk of injury or death. With outcomes predetermined under kayfabe, trail in wrestling comes not from engaging in unsportsmanlike conduct, but by the surprise appearance of actual sporting behavior. Such unwelcome sportsmanship, which breaks kayfabe, is called, quote, shooting, to distinguish it from the expected script deception called working. For kayfabe to become part of our toolkit for the 21st century, we would undoubtedly have an easier time understanding a world in which investigative journalism seems to have vanished, and bitter corporate rivals cooperate on everything from joint ventures to lobbying efforts. Perhaps confusing battles between freshwater Chicago macroeconomist and Ivy League saltwater theorist could be understood as happening within single orthodox promotion, given that both groups suffered no injury from failing equally to predict the recent financial crisis. The decades-old battle in theoretical physics over bragging rights between the string and loop camps would seem to be even more significant examples within the hard sciences of a collaborative intra-promotion rivalry given the apparent failure of both groups to produce a quantum theory of gravity. What makes kayfabe remarkable is that it gives us potentially the most complete example of the general process by which a wide class of important endeavors transition from failed reality to successful fakery. While most modern sports enthusiasts are aware of wrestling status as a pseudo-sport, what few alive today remember is that it revolved out of a failed real sport known as catch wrestling, which held its last honest title match early in the 20th century. Title matches could last hours with no satisfying action or end suddenly with crippling injuries to a promising athlete in whom much had been invested. This highlighted the closed relationship between two paradoxical risks, which define the category of activity which wrestling shares with other human spheres. A. Occasional but extreme peril for our participants. B. General monotony for both audience and participants. A fabrication, process of transition from reality towards kayfabe, arises out of attempts to deliver a dependably engaging product for a mass audience while removing, while removing the unpredictable upheavals that imperil participants. As such, kayfabrication is a dependable feature of many of our most important systems shared the above two characteristics, such as war, finance, love, politics, and science. I'm wondering now, as I'm recording this podcast, if you guys are starting to think how kayfabe is not new. Kayfabe has actually existed for a very long time, and it has been used in war, finance, love, politics, and science. Donald J. Trump did not found or introduce kayfabe to these areas. He did not come onto the scene and introduce kayfabe for the very first time to politics. It was already there. What Trump did is he took it to a whole new level and he expertly used it to his advantage and to our nation's advantage. To give you a very obvious example, the Uniparty. Democrats and Republicans 
faking their disagreements. Faking their status um, or their opinion on certain votes or war or other topics. As George Carlin said, it's one big club and you ain't in it. But when they go on TV, when they write articles, when they campaign, these politicians, hey, Fabe, their narratives, their portrayals of their battles against other politicians in Congress, against their opponents. And the media is in on it too. And the tech oligarchy and the corporations. I think Donald Trump realized this and he took advantage of it like no one ever had. And he used it to his advantage and he still is. And it drives them absolutely insane. It drives them absolutely insane because they cannot control him. He's not subject to their narrative. He sets the narrative. He creates the new narratives. And they can't tell who of the people he's relating to. And they can't figure out who's in his circle. They can't figure out who's in his promotion. Right? And sometimes we can't either. So I want to get to uh, some examples here. I'm trying to uh, see how many I want to go through here. I don't want to go through too many, but I, I picked out these examples of Trump's statements, and I think Trump's statements, you can really, really find examples of kayfabe. And if you compare his tone, it's just like reading his Twitter. It's just like reading his Twitter used to be. These statements from Donald Trump, He's been putting out at donaldjtrump.com. These are just like his Twitter used to be. Um, only more characters, thankfully. We can go on longer. Um, I'm going to choose this one. This one's from November 15th. This is what he says. From Election Day, November 3rd, the day I realized that the 2020 elect presidential election was rigged, I would never have agreed to, be, to go to Joe Biden's inauguration. This decision was mine and mine alone. The old broken down crow, Mitch McConnell, had nothing to do with it. According to third-rate reporter Jonathan Carl at ABC Fake News, McConnell unsuccessfully tried getting a letter signed by others for me to not go. This was nothing I ever heard of, and actually, if he ever did get it signed, I probably would have held my nose and gone. The election was rigged, the facts are clear, and Mitch McConnell did nothing. He was probably too busy working on deals with China for his wife and family. <laughs> All right. One, this is just entertaining. And you got to remember, that's a huge part of it, is it being entertaining. He's got to give, Trump has to give out enough entertainment to keep the narrative going and to keep people interested. And then he also has to cast characters. And right here, he's casting some characters. He's, ca he's casting Mitch McConnell is an old, broken-down crow. He's casting Jonathan Carl as ABC's fake news. Um, he's also pointing out, I never got this letter. I don't know what it is. And he's setting up a, he's giving a false setup of what he might have done if this had actually occurred. Now he's making a clear statement also. The election was rigged. He also makes a clear statement that the decision whether or not to go to Joe Biden's inauguration was his and his alone. Here's another one. I'm, I'm just, this is just, I'm just trying to point out how he's using character roles here, how he's using some of these techniques to cast certain things. He also cast McConnell in that statement as McConnell was probably too busy working on deals with China for his wife and family. Now that's a direct dig at, McConnell, but guess what we know? This is where you can tell it's kayfabe, okay? Put aside, put aside what you think of the character Mitch McConnell right now. 
especially put aside what you think of Mitch McConnell while Trump has been president and Trump has been in charge of the Republican Party. That aside, Mitch McConnell's wife was in the Trump administration. Trump appointed her to transportation. It escapes me right now. She served in Trump's administration. Trump appointed her. Mitch McConnell got a lot of things done for Trump. Most significant, in my opinion, is all the judges that Mitch McConnell appointed. All of these seats that were supposed to be filled by Hillary, because she was never supposed to lose. Mitch McConnell got all those judges appointed. Relentless. He was relentless with it. I'm not, I'm not here to praise Mitch McConnell because I don't care for him that much. There's a lot of things to dislike about him. But I got to tell you, he's a very, very effective senator. Very effective. And I think this line here, he was probably too busy working on deals with China for his wife and family. Trump is feeding a narrative. He's feeding a narrative right there. All right, next one from the 14th of November. This country has perhaps never done to anyone what they have done to Steve Bannon, and they are looking to do it to others also. If they would be so tough with China, Russia, and the world, who no longer respect us, maybe our country would not be failing at every level at which we have never seen before. We never talk about making our country great, and it is now heading in an unthinkable direction. With the Afghanistan withdrawal, open borders, inflation, woke everything, so much more. USA is a radicalized mess. This entire statement here, guys, while there's morsels of truth in it, for sure, there's morsels of truth, lots of it. The purpose of this statement is not to doom. The purpose of this statement is to frame the situation. It's to, it's to create the setting for a character arc. If the, imagine, this reminds me of this statement right here, reminds me of what you would see on the movie The Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. This is like a line from a movie, like in the side of a, a, a movie, it's a sequel or, um, yeah, or a book that's a sequel and it's casting, it, this is the setting where things are so bad this is happening over here, this bad thing here, this bad thing here. If only this hadn't happened. And it sets the stage for protagonist to rise. That's what he's doing. Let me pick out another one here. Now, this one is not kayfabe. This statement is not kayfabe. And it's from the 13th November. Looks like Lion Brian Williams is leaving ratings challenged MSNBC to search for new employment. Never had the credibility to do what he is doing after he was caught lying about his involvement in a fake military airplane skirmish. He later confessed it never happened. He's tired of his current show and they're obviously tired of him. Won't be missed. <laughs> that's, just, that's just him taking a dig and just like, punking Brian Williams. It's great. It's great. <laughs> but you can tell there's a difference. There's a difference in tone from the other statements. There's a difference with it. Um, once you start to see this, once you start to see this kayfabe playing out, really stands out to you. Here's one that's the opposite of the last one I read. The great people of Serbia and Kosovo have overcome tremendous obstacles in their pursuit of economic normalization. The agreements my administration brokered are historic and should not be abandoned. Many lives are at stake. The region is too important and the people have waited too long for this work to cast aside. Today, my envoy ambassador, Rick Grinnell, visited Kosovo-Serbia border to highlight this important agreement. Just like we proved in the Middle East with the Abraham Accords, peace and economic normalization is possible but it takes a sincere effort and unwavering leadership. Peace is possible. Don't give up. Long-term prosperity for those two nations is at stake. Completely different tone. Completely different tone. Now, 
see. I'm going to pick out one other that has some kayfabe in it. There's so many there are dig. Like this one's my, this is one of my favorite things. Here's one from November 30th. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar should apologize for marrying her brother, committing large-scale immigration and election fraud, wishing death to Israel, and for essentially abandoning her former country, which doesn't even have a government. Exactly what she'd like to see for the United States. That's an attack piece. There. I'm trying to find a, another example that's really going to have some kayfabe in it. Okay, here's one where he's he's setting a future, um, a real short one from November 26th, where he's setting up a future storyline or setting for a story storyline. I view the story being concocted by the unselect committee about so-called insurrection of January 6th, actually November 3rd, same way as the Democrats' Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, now fully debunked and discredited. He's set he's setting up the narrative, guys that the real insurrection was November 3rd. And those of you listening know that's the, tr that's the truth. Let's see if I find one more I want to pull out, because I don't want to go too long with this podcast. Okay, here's one, here's one. Whatever happened to the rigged and stolen election um, the stolen Arizona presidential election that is being investigated, or maybe the wor words should properly be looked at by Attorney General Mark Burnovich. When will the legislature vote to decertify? People are very upset in Arizona. That is, that is all they are talking about for so long, especially when the findings of the state, Senate, state Senate's forensic audit were so conclusive, not even including the recent revelation of 35,000 fictitious votes in Pima County and precincts with over 100% turnout. How do you like that one? The people of Arizona are anxiously awaiting the decision of the Attorney General. They know what really went on during that election. Doesn't that remind you of what was going on with Durham? Remember Trump used to tweet out things saying, where's Durham? Who is Durham? Does Durham even exist? He used to, he used to tweet those things out, and what he was doing was teasing a coming storyline. He was teasing the arrival of a, of a new protagonist who was going to come in and do, do the work that he's doing now. And that's what he's doing here with Mark Burnovich. He's teasing it out. And I understand that some of y'all may, th may think I'm reaching on that one, but it's a it's, it's, you can find so many examples of Trump using this exact technique for years and years and years. I don't think I'm really reaching. I really don't. I, 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 you see this so often with him. Here's another example of kayfabe, which comes up a lot. And I've talked about it before. From November 16th, a very sad sight watching yesterday as the Taliban had a major military parade displaying much of the $85 billion of military equipment the United States surrendered to them. Handling of the Afghanistan withdrawal the greatest embarrassment in the history of our country. Okay. If you've been following my work, you know that what's going on in Afghanistan is the Doha Agreement. And I am sure that Trump and Pompeo are proud of it and that proud of that it's working. I am also sure that Trump is fully aware that $85 billion of military equipment the United States surrendered to them is not true. That $85 billion figure includes all of the equipment we sold and that we gave to the Afghan forces, including their training to use that equipment. The United States did not surrender any of that equipment to them. It's all former Afghan forces equipment that the Afghan forces abandoned. The Taliban picked up. The Afghan forces, it's well known, they were a jobs program. They were a paper army, and the Taliban just arrived and picked it all up. It wasn't the U.S. abandoning it. 
But this figure he keeps throwing around of 85 billion, Trump is a very smart man and he's a businessman and he's very good at figures and he's well aware this 80, what this $85 billion figure comes from and what it consists of. He knows what's going on here, guys. He knows that the Taliban taking over is, is part of the Doha agreement, but it is such a good weapon to use in this way against the Biden administration. It is such an effective weapon. It is such an effective narrative to beat the Biden administration over the head with what happened in Afghanistan. And then the second sentence, the handling of the Afghanistan withdrawal was the greatest embarrassment in the history of our country. You know what? That is half true, half not true. What our military did to get us out, not embarrassing at all. It's very admirable the work our military put in to arrange all the flights and to get as many people out as they could um, and as securely and safely as they could. What is embarrassing is our State Department not approving visas, our State Department putting out an announcement that anybody scared of the Taliban could get on a C-17 and causing all the crowding at the airport, which made it such a tempting soft target. There's, I've gone into it a lot. I'm not going to go into it again here now. But in all the ways the Biden administration could screw this up, they did. And one of the number one ways available to them was to not do anything, not do their part. And then to also make announcements to the public that, oh, if you're scared of the Taliban, just go to the airport and we're going to take you to, to America, which caused this giant group of people together at the airport gates, which made it such a tempting target. Trump, Trump is using that situation to bash his enemy, bash the Biden administration. And it's just so effective. He has to do this. He has to do this. But I hope you guys can understand that this is part of military deception. This is part of the deception that is needed in order for us to red pill as much of the country as possible and take it back from the cabal and from the deep state. The same thing is true of his battle with Mark Milley. And I know a lot of people dis disagree with me on this, and that's totally fine. But look up Mark Milley's record. Look up Mike, Mark Milley's biography. Get an impression of who Mark Milley is, and then notice that there's been a sudden shift in the past two years especially since this event I'm going to talk to you about right now. From Trump's statement, I lost respect for Millie when he walked together to St. John's Church, which was still smoldering from a radical left fire set the day before. Side by side, a walk that has now been proven to be totally appropriate. And the following day, Millie choked like a dog in front of the fake news when they told him they thought he should not have been walking with the president, which turned out to be incorrect. He apologized profusely, making it a big story, instead of saying, I am proud to walk with and protect the President of the United States. Had he said that, it would have all been over. No big deal. But I saw at that moment he had no courage or skill. Certainly not the type of person I would be talking coup with. I'm not into coups. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. In fact, around the same time, Milley, in a conversation, was an advocate of changing all the names of our military forts and bases. I realized then also, he was a much different person than I had hoped. I said to him, spend more time thinking about China and Russia, and less time on being politically correct. Guys, Milley is one of the most informed persons when it comes to China and Russia, or any other subject. Milley is a very high-Q general a very successful and skilled and courageous general. And I'm going to tell you right now, right now, guys, this is all kayfabe between Trump and Milley. It's all kayfabe. I'm aware that Trump called him an effing idiot the other day. I promise you guys, Mark Milley was laughing his head off at that. Just like if you were in a wrestling promotion and you had a fake feud someone else and you made fun of each other 
on stage. But then in the back room, when the cameras went around, you laughed together. And all the things, you, all the lines you came up with for one another. It's totally fake and it's necessary. It's necessary to confuse the enemy. It's necessary to keep certain storylines going. It's necessary to protect people. Same thing is true with, with Pence. Pence did exactly what was constitutional on that day. But it's important for there to be this kayfabe between Pence and Trump. It protects Pence. Because without Pence, without Pence's courage to do what he did that day, to make sure that the steal was complete as far as the Democrat, as far as that fake election, the coup went, he had to make sure the crime was complete. Now, if the states sent him different ballots, it was different slates of electors. If the states did their job at that point, that's a different thing. But, but Pence had to constitutionally facilitate that day and that count. That's what he did, and he did it knowing. He did it knowing that he would be a character cast into ridicule and that he would be hated by the same people who had just weeks before loved him so many years. And I heard someone, someone wrote it to me the other day in my chat somewhere, maybe on Telegram or it was on Twitch. They wrote, Pence had to get up on a cross, get crucified, and that's what he did. And it's all, all part of military deception. I want to go back to this definition of just what kayfabe is. It's a portrayal of staged events, staged events within the industry as either real or true, specifically the portrayal of competition, rivalries, and relationships between participants as being genuine and not a staged or predetermined nature. Kayfabe has also evolved to become a code word of sorts for maintaining this reality within the realm of the general public. That's what's going on. And what I look for, I know, I know it's probably on y'all's minds. Y'all are probably asking, well, how do I know when it's kayfabe and when it's not? How do I know what's real and what's not because if it's all kayfabe and it's they're just playing these games like this it's really confusing right how am i ever going to know which it is and how can i ever get comfort out of knowing that this is going on and this is the advice i have to give you look for contradictions because contradictions do not exist when you think you're facing a contradiction check your premises you'll find that at least one of them is wrong that's my favorite Ayn Rand quote, and that's what I would apply. Look for contradictions. The other thing I would look for is think about what you know about Trump. Think about what you know about Trump and his character and what he stands for and apply that to what you're seeing and you're going to be able to figure out the truth. All right, that concludes this episode of the Just Human Podcast. And I thank you for listening. I thank you for being a paid subscriber. As a paid subscriber, you you make what I do possible. And I, I, I just cannot thank you enough. I want you to know that you're making a difference. So be blessed. Stay positive. We're not going to win every battle, but we're going to win this war. 